Hi, everybody. I'm Sean from Follow the Camino. And on this episode of Camino Talks, I'm talking with Reverend Colin Jones, who is the chairman of the, U the UK Confraternity of St. James. Welcome, Colin. Welcome, indeed. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us. So, Colin, um, could you tell me who you are and what, are, what is your connection with the Camino and then the connection with the confraternity? Uh, well, I first walked the Camino, Camino Frances, in 1992, which, of course, was a very different world. Um, its popularity really took off the following year, which was a holy year. And so that year, 1992, there was very little infrastructure. You could turn up at villages and they would say there's an abandoned house you could sleep in. So it was also very difficult to get information. This is pre-internet times. It's hard to imagine, isn't it? So the only source of information in English uh, really was the confraternity of St. James. So I wrote to them and they sent their publication, the uh, Camino Frances Guide, which was a very slim volume in those days because there was hardly anything taking place. Uh, after that, I joined them because I was so enthused uh, by, the, by the Camino, the experience, that I felt it was important to be part of uh, a, a like-minded group, people who understood the Camino because it was very little known, I think, particularly in the UK. And so talking about the experience was really trying to encourage people to understand the imponderable, a place they'd never heard of over distances for reasons you were walking that were very difficult. Now, of course, it's very different. Um, so I joined the confraternity and then about 10 years later, I was invited to become a trustee, and eventually I became chairman. Okay, thank you for that. So the confraternity itself, I suppose, what is it, is that, and how does that operate in, in the UK? Well, its origins were a group, a small group uh, of um, people who had walked the Camino in the mid and late 80s. And they felt it important to promote the Camino as a pilgrimage, and also as a place of cultural historic interest. However, all the then information was either in Spanish or French. So they realized their work was going to be about promoting the Camino, but particularly by producing guides in English. And they were guides really, not quite like we have today. These were guides that assumed you knew nothing about Spanish culture or Spanish society. So it would be not simply, here's the distance between one place or another. It would give information about where the shop would be, because in the 80s and 90s, often village shops were in people's houses. And it would tell you exactly how to find that house and what time they would be open and so on. So it was very, very practical information. And since then, of course, it's been overtaken by lots of other guides that have been 
opened and the internet, of course. And the confraternity then realized that part of helping people to experience the Camino is what we would call a practical pilgrim day. There used to be only one a year, but now there are several a year. And that was not only information about how to travel to your destination, the starting point, not only about what to take, how to prepare yourself, and so on. But it was also trying to open up a sense of what the Camino represents on all its various levels, cultural, historical, spiritual, religious, and so on. Um, today, of course, people have access to a vast amount of information through the internet. But the, we still have the practical pilgrim because lots of people want to walk the Camino, not so many on bicycle, but mainly walk. But really, they're not experienced walkers. So we, we offer them suggestions about what sort of things to put in, like clothes pegs in your rucksack, which are incredibly useful for all sorts of reasons. Yes, I, I imagine a lot of people, first timers on the Camino, they wouldn't have been on a walking holiday before. So it's kind of um, leaving aside the, the spiritual or the reasons for doing the Camino, actually, actually going walking for days on end would be... A exactly, yes. I mean, there's a physicality about it, which if you're not an experienced walker, can come as, as a, a shock almost. Uh, the body can start off with a sense of elation, uh, but about three days later, of course, the muscles start protesting. So we're trying to help people understand that there is a sort of rhythm, uh, and a psychological rhythm as well, to doing such a long walk. Uh, and not to be just too dismayed uh, that on the third or fourth day you feel, oh, I can't carry on. Uh, this is something that will pass. Um, we also try and encourage people to think what happens at the end, not only at Santiago, but what happens when you have to leave Santiago. For some, of course, that's going on to Finisterre or Mugia. Or others, what do you do when you return home? Uh, and, of course, that's where we encourage people to come to our meetings, local meetings as well, and also the return pilgrim days. Um, yes, uh, I mean, there's a f it seems quite simple, put your rucksack on and go, but actually there is a lot of thought and preparation that is required. Yes, indeed, indeed. And um, so I understand that the confraternity um, operates two um, hostels or albergues in, in Spain. Yes. You can maybe explain to people why there was a need for the albergues and why your organization actually mm. operates two of them. Well, it's, uh, it's, in a way, it's, co it's quite complex about why they are there. The first one was Rabanal del Camino um, on the Camino Frances. It started with a group of people who felt that they needed to give something back to the Camino, which is a very common feeling. But they also wanted to give something back in a very practical way, which would help following pilgrims. So one of the projects that they worked up was the idea of creating what was then called a refugio, not an albergue. 
Um, but particularly where it would be needed. And remember, in the 80s, you sometimes had to do vast distances between stages. Um, so they identified that a useful place would be um, after Storga, uh, because it's, uh, it's mountainous, it's difficult, and so on. And there was very little, very few places to stay, let alone places to buy food along the way. Um, however, doing things from outside Spain was not the easiest. So rather than start from scratch, it was important to work with uh, a local association. And so they contacted the Bierzo Association, uh, who were able to identify a building in Rabanal. It belonged to the Diocese of Astorga, uh, but it was in complete ruin. And so it was a good place to start and offer hospitality initially, of course, and not many people were staying, uh, but bit by bit as it grew. So, um, so of course, the, the albergue had to expand as well. The second one is at Maraf on the Camino del uh, Norte, just before Sobrado dos Monches. And again, it was a feeling that We'd established Ravenel. Now is the time to try and think about how else we could give something back to the Camino. But this time, the context was very different because the Camino Frances was super crowded, super abundant with, with every possible thought. And the, I used to joke that you could walk 10 meters and trip over an albergue. that you know, that, uh, that, that developed. So we were looking to give something back, but in a way that perhaps would, again, improve the infrastructure, but of an alternative, another Camino. And also, therefore, encourage investment in that to perhaps draw people away from the, the Camino Frances, because... If you get hooked, your instinct is to do it again. But obviously, you're going to do it where you have the infrastructure. So that's why people would do the Camino Frances first time, second time, third time. We identified um, really the Camino del Norte. We looked at several places along the route, the key being a building. So we didn't want to do a new build, but we wanted to take over, if you like, a, an existing building. The Diocese of Lugo had several former priests' houses relatively near, the nearest being Marath. Uh, it's about 200 metres off the Camino, but that's just enough for people to, 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 to come off and to get into it. So we opened it up about, oh, 2005. Um, it was being used by pilgrims and others, I hasten to add. Um, it was an abandoned building. It was, the building itself was sound, but it had nothing inside it. We quickly opened up um, water, electricity, and initially, not many people came along, but bit by bit, the Camino del Norte became popular. 
And we made the decision that we would have to expand the building, uh, which we completed in 2010. Um, and since then, of course, it, it's the Camino del Norte is popular, but nowhere near popular as the, um, the Camino Portuguese. However, um, in the height of summer, our albergue is full every day. In the spring and autumn, not so much, but that's the nature of the Camino del Norte. Okay, great. And so obviously with albergues comes uh, hospitaleros. Yes. Perhaps you might um, <laughs> talk about that, what, what that means. Well, um, for us, being a voluntary association, uh, we seek to recruit um, people, volunteers, who are prepared to go to either Rabanal or Marath for two weeks. Two weeks is more than enough. It doesn't sound a lot, but actually it is very physically demanding work. And I think also, in a sense, psychologically demanding because you're always available. The purpose really is in a practical way to look after the building, make sure it's clean and these days uh, know what to do should there be the dreaded bed bug infestation and so on. So uh, that's in a practical sense, but of course, in a deeper sense, the purpose of our uh, albergues is to offer traditional Camino hospitality. By that we mean um, we don't have a fixed charge. We only seek a donation. It doesn't mean to say it's free, but it is a donation. And people have to give what they're able to give or what they feel is appropriate to give. And the reason we have that is because it's not a commercial transaction. In other places where you go into a private albergue, for example, it is a contract you are asked to pay this amount of euros and you get what you pay for. For us, it's an open-ended hospitality. We seek to allow people to not simply have a bed and a place for the night, but a safe place to talk, to reflect, to be able to experience something of the Camino in its traditional sense, a place of spiritual refreshment and so on. Um, now that can be, it does mean actually being aware of the pilgrim. And that's why on our preparation days for the hospital errors, we obviously take them through the cleaning routine uh, because these days the uh, local health authorities do come in and inspect, so they, they, they will look for certain things to be in place. Um, so it's not simply a question of getting a duster out and flicking it over uh, the, the chairs. But also it's about paying attention to the pilgrim and their needs. So we take the prospective hospital hours through, if you like, how the rhythm of, of entering into the, into the albergue. And once that is done, how do we pay attention without overwhelming a pilgrim? Um, and how do we allow them to, if you like, breathe and to be able to, if they want to, 
tell the story of their life, of their pilgrimage. Because often when they are rested, they have stories to tell and we're there to listen to them and affirm them. And in next morning, very important, we say goodbye. And saying goodbye is, is actually quite, quite an important part of hospitality. It means to say that we are not letting you just slip off on the day. We want to affirm your next day. We want to affirm what you're doing. So um, you talk a lot about pilgrims. Now, most mm. people would not consider themselves a pilgrim, like they mm. going on a walk, which happens to be on a, on a, a traditional pilgrim route. What type of person does the Camino and why do they do it and what makes them a Oh, gosh, I suspect there are many reasons as there are human beings who do the Camino. Um, it is hard to, to really categorize. I know when you arrive at the pilgrim office, you are asked your motivation. And I realize they need to do that in order to somehow categorize how people experience but these are very rigid categories. Most people, I suspect, if you really, really prompted them, wouldn't know why they're doing it. They just feel they need to do it. Um, that, I think, is my experience of listening to pilgrims. There is a sense in which their lives are open to a big adventure. And it is a big adventure, doing the unknown for most people. Uh, yes, you've got your guidebooks and you can go over the, your routes virtually these days or through the internet. However, the experience of walking, uh, sorting out your accommodation, meeting other people who have the same common purpose of going somewhere, um, it makes it... It's very different from being a mere tourist because you have an identity. Uh, you have a, a sense of identity about it is right to be here. You're not simply a visitor. And that's particularly because the Camino is not just about pilgrims. It's about the people you meet in the villages. Uh, it's about the people you see along the road and give you a wave and say animals or so that is the whole context of the Camino. Uh, pilgrims, yes, because uh, by def part of the, 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 um, the criteria for entering our albergues is you must have a pilgrim credential. Um, so you know, you're not there if you're a tourist, you don't have a credential, you can't come in. It is for people who have explicitly said, yes, I'm going to do this. Maybe I'm doing it as a tourist, but I'm still going to hold a credential. And that credential makes you something a little bit more than a mere visitor, a mere someone who's journeying along the route. So in my, in my conversations with, with people on the Camino and talking to people who are planning to go, it strikes me that quite often there's two reasons I've noticed. One is either there's a big change that has happened in their life, a big event, and they're trying to look for answers, and that could be um, a bereavement, 
job loss, going into retirement, health issues, mm. or people are just looking for answers and what to do next. It's kind of yes, a, quite. I often I well, there's a at Marath, for example. You're not that. You're only about four days from Santiago, so people come with perhaps a little more honed thinking about what they've experienced and where they are in that experience and what they anticipate they will feel towards the end. Ravenel, you have a good few more do- days to go to get to Santiago. And so people at Ravenel arrive perhaps midway in that thought process in, in trying to make sense of all their experiences within themselves and, of course, outside themselves. Um, yes, often there is that sense of I I need time and space. I need physical time and I need emotional time and space in order perhaps to get a distance from what may be a confused situation. Equally, um, there are people who come along and they'll say, I'm not really sure why I'm doing it, but I am doing it. They feel a, a sense of call, if you like, a draw towards this. They tend to be a lot more open to the to the to the encounters along the way. And part of the joy of the Camino is meeting people who also are journeying forward with stories to tell. And those stories help us to understand ourselves perhaps a little bit better. Um, I rather like the, uh, I was reading recently, the description, it's not simply the physical geography that is important. It's also, if you like, the spiritual geography of the Camino that is important. Uh, And that is experiencing within ourselves, uh, exhaustion, elation, worry, these, and the very physicality of our bodies, which is in a modern world, a very strange thing to realize that feet hurt, backs hurt, and that we also can suffer from very real conditions that we thought were just you know, part of uh, another world, such as dehydration. We're not, we are very fragile creatures. But nevertheless, within that fragility, there is a strength that we find and maybe finding that strength that allows us to carry on, even if it's only stumbling forward, it is a boost to ourselves and who we are. And hearing stories about how other people have experienced that and also discovered within themselves that inner strength can be a huge encouragement to ourselves. Why do people keep going back to the Camino? There are other well-known pilgrimage routes throughout Europe and different parts of the world. Um, in the UK, there are obviously quite a number of kind of hmm. older pilgrim trails. What is it that's unique about the Camino that it stands out? Oh, well, that is... A very interesting question, and one which I have continuously 
rumbled around and tried to understand myself. Um, I think it goes beyond simply rationalizing. There is an emotional connection between the root itself. It has a very honed identity. You are going to a very specific place. Um, it has, and it's not like, let's say, for example, Rome, which is big and has lots and lots of places to identify with. Santiago is the cathedral, essentially, and within the cathedral is the, uh, the tomb of St. James. And everything, whether you realize it or not, is focused towards that. Um, the very first time you walk the Camino, of course, this may not make a lot of sense. Why am I going to Santiago? What is there? But having arrived, it begins to make sense. There, here is a place that welcomes um, and says that thought, prayer, who we are is welcomed. Um, and I rather like the idea that, of course, in medieval uh, times, the cathedral didn't have doors. You, because you just welcomed everybody. Um, maybe, as I jokingly tell people why I keep walking various Caminos, is that I'm a very slow learner and I have to keep on doing it because each time there is something new or perhaps there's something that builds upon a past Camino. I think there's an element of that as well. Um, also, even though you walk the same route, you come with a different experience yourself. So the, the Camino changes according to who you are as well. Very adaptable. Um, a friend of mine once pointed out that the odd thing about the Camino is that in one sense, particularly in Spain, it is incredibly Spanish. And yet you don't have to be Spanish in, in one sense or, or another in order to enjoy it. Um, it just seems to be able to absorb you as you are, whether you speak Spanish, whether you understand how to order anything in a bar or not. It's still there for you. Uh, and I think that is probably something of why people feel at home in the Camino. And is there also a sense that it's going back in time a little bit to, I'm just thinking now, um, as teenagers, hosteling, mm. scouts and girl guides, collecting badges on the Camino, you're collecting stamps, you're going to hostels. Is there, are, you, are people re-experiencing re maybe some something that they did in their youth? For some people, yes, that must be the case. But for others, of course, this is a, a completely new idea of turning up um, and, and collecting a, a mark saying, I have been here, and being able to present that later on. Um, I must say that uh, collecting cellulose can become quite obsessive, and I do know people who will sort of dash here, there and everywhere and get several, several a day. Um, but that's perhaps part of me doing something particularly Camino, um, as opposed to me being the tourist, just dipping into things and enjoy. Here is part of 
how I express myself, I get a cellular. Look, it gives me a reason to talk to people, complete strangers, going into a town hall, for example, and getting a cellular, when normally you think, oh, gosh, you know, should I or shouldn't I? It gives you a sort of sense of courage as well. And um, here I am. I have a right to ask for this. Uh, even if I don't, if, even if I don't speak Spanish, I will open up the credential, and they will immediately understand. Yes, and it's a very social, sociable kind of um, place as well, because you're all walking in the same direction. So if you meet people on day seven, you're likely yes. to meet again day eight, and nine, and ten, and arrive in the village, yes. have a coffee or glass of wine, sit down and chat. Everybody walks at their own way and their own pace. Now, that means that you will meet people uh, very briefly and you may never see them again. Equally, uh, particularly over longer distances, longer time, um, you fall into a rhythm and a pattern and what are often called Camino groups. Um, they're not official groups they're just you just happen to fall in with people who are walking at the same rate who are going to say stay at the same places who cover the same stages and so you form a core of those you know and you trust but also you will meet each day those who will talk to you for half an hour or so and then say well it's been lovely to meet you and walk on uh, but equally, they've given you something as well, and you've given them as well. As well. Um, some of the chance encounters, those are, are the, the rich ones, of course, uh, and you'd love to know a little bit more, but they've, they're obviously itching to walk a little bit faster than you yes. can. So you have to let them go, of course. Yes. Can I ask you about the Holy Year and what its significance is? And obviously 2021 is next whole year so what that yes means to, to you and well to, you know what what there are two sides i suppose a holy year from the cathedral's point of view is a year in which um the 25th of july st james's day falls on a sunday and that by tradition gives it a special significance those who um arrive at the cathedral um, particularly those who have walked or cycled um, over the required minimum distance, uh, receive uh, a plenary indulgence. But interestingly, it's not for yourself, it's for someone else. Um, and really, it's as simple as that. Uh, however, it does focus people's attention on, if you like, time <coughs> and place having significance. Um, the Holy Year has a, has a progression. So the last one was 11 years ago. And that's because, of course, given, um, given the um, uh, leap years and so on, the 25th of July moves, progresses during the week. Uh, so it tends to go 11, 7, 5, 5, 7, 11. So it has that sense of specialness about it. Uh, and people pick that up. Um, the first big holy year in, in the modern period was 1993. Uh, and then, and it's hard to say why, but really 
thousands and thousands of people decided they were going to experience the Camino, go on the Camino. And um, I'd walked in 92 and a friend came with me the following year. And really, it was like chalk and cheese. Uh, in 92, you could walk and hardly see anyone during the day, uh, other pilgrims. Um, on 93, you were never alone. And in 93, it was the numbers were insignificant compared to today. Uh, so it has that sense of rhythm. For people who are doing the community, I think it just attracts their attention. Um, people will say, it's a holy year. Maybe that's the year I do it. They may not fully understand what a holy year is, um, but it is, a, it is a time of saying yes. Uh, this is a significant, others will be doing it, why not me? Okay, thank you. So for people that have done the Camino many times, as you have, do you look to kind of experience less um, busy or kind of less well-known Caminos, like the Via de la Plaza or Camino Primitivo, or is that something that comes into... Yes, uh, you, 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 yes, it is a sense of... Uh, you have, uh, particularly, uh, I discovered, having walked the Camino Frances from Saint-Jean-Pierre-de-Port to Santiago twice, um, and knowing that it was going to become more and more popular, more and more crowded, you do seek out other views, other ways. Um, the following one, following year, I walked the Ruta de la Plata, uh, which was very different from the Camino Frances. Um, and truly, if you think you get exhausted on the Camino Frances, uh, it is nothing compared to what, you're, what you go through on the Ruta de la Plata, particularly in the Ex-Madura. Um, and that, yes, so that tested me, I think, and then you think, well, are there other places to start, other experiences, other perspectives? Because although the main route today is the Camino Frances, it's important to remember that historically um, people just followed the main trading route. So there were pilgrims coming from Valencia, from Alicante, from Seville, from Lisbon, um, but historically, the first pilgrims uh, didn't walk along the Camino Frances. They walked um, along the northern coast of Spain, um, Camino del Norte, or arrived by boat from France, from Ireland, from uh, England, from also from the Baltics, uh, wherever a boat would get it in safely to a port and then carry on walking from there. Um, the Camino Frances sort of rose in popularity because uh, it is anyone who's walked, both of them will realize the Camino Frances, uh, although it does have its sort of crunch points, is much easier to walk than the Camino del Norte. And that therefore tended to, to well, to, to die out in the popular imagination. It, it does attract, pilgrims today, um, and it, I think it is well worth doing. 
often you hear people say, oh, well, yes, but there's lots of roads to walk. Mm, yeah, but that doesn't change the experience of the Camino, um, other than the fact that your feet get hotter than walking on ordinary uh, grass and uh, through the countryside. Indeed, indeed. So, so in terms of um, visitors to the Camino and I suppose um, the statistics from the Pilgrim's Office, the United Kingdom is about the sixth in, in terms of international visitors. Yes. Um, you have Spain, Italy, Germany, the United States, France, France and Portugal, and then the UK. Do you see that in the number of people um, doing the Camino from the UK increasing? I know the BBC have had a series of uh, pilgrimage programs, uh, the road to Santiago, the road to Rome last year, and then this year, at the moment, the road to Istanbul. Yes. Is that doing good for the, the Camino business? I think it is. Um, it makes people aware that these are not simply um, tourist routes. They're not simply historical routes. These are routes that allow us to, to, to well, to experience deeper parts of ourselves. And, but interestingly, it's always in conversations. And I think that is the, the real insight these programs provide. Um, earlier programs are very much treated as though it was a cultural itinerary, um, which you observed and reflected upon. Um, but it didn't really encourage people to see that the, the physical effort that's involved yeah, on the Camino uh, produces something within us which is very different from everyday life. And it is that uh, experience of tiredness and refreshment and so on. The rhythm of each day, having to wash our own clothes, sometimes a lot of times in cold water, it it allows us to, to, to say things about ourselves, which in everyday life, we simply say, oh, hello, how are you? Fine, thanks. Um, the Camino experience is, I think, a group experience at best. I know some people do walk in a, in, in a, in a slight bubble, um, but I think they're missing out a lot of what truly is the Camino. So I'm very grateful for those sort of programs because they offer a, a, a better insight into the Camino experience. Um, and this is why, it, you know, the, the, the rise, I, I feel, of Camino companies, if you like, that help people do it. It's good that people are doing it as groups, not simply as isolated individuals. Um, you know, originally it was the only way you could do it. Um, you got your ticket on train ticket or whatever, and, and that's the way it went. Um, through places like the confraternity, you could put notices and saying, I'm thinking of doing it in September. Is anyone interested in coming with me? Um, but there's clearly a need to do it in companionship. And I think it's not simply about doing it in company. It's that sense of commonality of purpose and also how we how we are experiencing things. Uh, I remember a couple of years ago, 
walking into Santiago. And I met this uh, very, very, very charming lady um, who was part of a, 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 a you know, she a, a Camino experience company. And she said the nice thing about it was that at the end of each day, you all met up. Um, you started off as strangers, but by just being part of that company, um, tour, if you like, um, you are allowed to, to say, I am here with my group. That's fine. I can talk. We can share our thoughts, our feelings for the day, what we've seen, uh, and so on. But equally, I have the freedom to walk off on myself and be by myself if I need to be. Uh, and it's that ability of, of groups where you can float in and out as and when you feel necessary that is so important. Indeed, indeed. So I've just two more questions, really, and I really appreciate you taking your time. But I think if I asked you this question two months ago, your answer would be, Slightly different. <laughs> yes. What do you see as the future of the Camino? Ah, no. Um, well, in its immediate sense, uh, who knows? It will all depend upon when the states of emergency are lifted in France, Spain, and Portugal, um, and how that, how those restrictions are eased to allow people once again to, to walk more freely or to go out more freely than they are now. Um, and that will depend upon, of course, how the pandemic uh, is, is overcome. Um, one hopes, of course, that everything will be okay for the Holy Year. Um, and I would therefore anticipate the Holy Year have an incredible boost, not simply because it's Holy Year, but because of all the people who have not been able to walk this year or have had their plans frustrated this year. What the future holds after the Holy Year is, again, an imponderable, um, because statistically, each Holy Year has produced larger numbers. Um, and in between, there's been a sort of dip in numbers, but since the last whole year, numbers and numbers and numbers going up on, particularly uh, the Camino Frances, have increased uh, beyond wildest imaginations. Whether that will continue or whether there will be a, a sort of pulling back um, of uh, numbers, who knows? Uh, it's very difficult to anticipate. The only thing we can say is that whatever the numbers are involved, the cathedral will still be there and it will still welcome people, pilgrims and visitors alike. Uh, and it will continue to do that in its spirit of hospitality. Um, it is interesting to remember that from the cathedral's point of view, um, who is a pilgrim? Well, actually anyone who purposefully visits the cathedral. Um, but we on the Camino side tend to think, oh, well, it's only people who walk or cycle and have got their credential. But for cathedral point of view, all, that, all the distinction is merely 
that we are doing um, the minimum, 200 kilometers cycling, 100 kilometers walking. And that is recognized by the cathedral by the giving of a Compostela, that certificate. Um, but in the spirit of the cathedral, um, everybody who, uh, who enters through its gates are pilgrims because you have come to journey from your home to be there in the cathedral. So very different perspectives, really. But I feel that the cathedral will still be there. Uh, and the nice thing is it's not dependent upon numbers. Okay, thank you. And then one last question. What would be your favorite memory of the Camino in all your time? Oh, well, I'm going to give you two um, because they were both in 1992 and they were are slightly related to each other. Um, the first was at Othobreiro, and in 1992, there was no albergue there, uh, no refugio, and we arrived up the, up the very, very, very long uh, climb uh, to discover that the one and only hotel was closed. Uh, now, that... Who we thought, and this is pre-mobile phone days, so we thought now, now we're in a bit of a pickle, really. And while we were talking in the street about what to do next, um, uh, this lady leant out of the window and said, "Would you like something to eat?" Uh, which we rather did, because with the hotel closed, there was no um, there was no um, place to eat. So we had uh, bacon and eggs, and then she said, are you looking for somewhere to sleep? And she said, if you are, you can sleep in the paliotha, which is the uh, stone and thatched um, accommodation, traditional accom uh, huts that were there. Um, we went in, we had to shoo the chickens out, and then um, we put on this uh, beaten earth floor, settled down for the night and then about two in the morning uh, there was this rather interesting sound of um, cowbells uh, coming closer and closer and closer and at two in the morning the cows wanted to come back in uh, to their own accommodation and there was a grim battle trying to keep them out um, and uh, us safe um, and then in the morning uh, of course, there was that incredible sight of uh, the, the clouds down in the valley uh, and Othobrero, of course, above the clouds. Uh, and the second experience was um, uh, approaching Arthur. Um, it was a long, long day, um, very little to eat, and I was getting dehydrated. Uh, only to discover that Arthur, rather like a typical Camino village town, is elongated, and that the place to stay, which was in the church bell tower, uh, was at the end of this village, uh, which is about a kilometre and a half away. And you arrive there and you think, no, I have to walk all the way through. And we just must have looked completely dejected. And someone across the road, who was a carpenter, just said, Oi, animo. And that was just enough to lift the spirits 
uh, and drag our feet uh, over the next kilometre and a half to arrive at the church in the Refugio. Uh, and it was that, that sense of encouragement from a complete stranger that was very special. Okay, indeed. And I think that sums up, I suppose, the, the spirits uh, of, of the Camino and what many people experience. Yes, exactly, yes. It's the, um, it, it's the tie, it's, you can borrow this from a, a title of a book published about uh, 30 years ago, um, The Friendship of the Hospitality of Strangers. We are surprised by it, and, but we actually discover our common humanity in that surprise. Indeed. Well, thank you, uh, Reverend Colin Jones. It's been a pleasure talking to you, and I really hope we can talk again in the future at some point. Yes, it's been lovely to meet you.